Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. So, Dad, I have a game for you. Nine players that you played with in Montreal made it to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Can you list all nine players? I think I can. Let's start with the goalie. Ken Dryden, defense. Correct. We got Larry Robinson. Yes. We got Guy Lapointe. Uh, yes. We have Serge Savard. Yes. Let's go to the forwards. We have Jacques Lemaire. Yes. We have Yvonne Cornway. Yes. We have Bob Gainey. Yep, two more. We have Guy Lafleur. Yes. One more. Okay, I'm coming up blank. Must be the concussion. I, I should I should know this. Steve Shutt. Steve. The Hockey Hall of Fame. You know what? Steve's my buddy. Steve, I apologize. You were good enough to make it. I don't know why I didn't know that, but... Okay. There's a few more stories I'd just like to say. One of the things was, there was a guy on the team named Yvonne Lambert. Yvonne, nice guy, never caused any problems, hard worker on the ice. So, I'd just been there maybe a month, and he sat next to me in the dressing room. So, in your stalls, they hang your hockey pants up, and then the trainers, they fold your underwear and wash it and fold it and dry it, put it inside your hockey pants, and then they put your inner jock on top of that. So... I see him come in the dressing room every single morning. He's kind of tired, sleepy. He's got his head down. He'd walk over to his hockey pants and he'd put his hand in with his head down, grab out his inner jock strap, pull it back, and he'd sniff it. And then he'd put it back. And I'm going, what the heck is that all about? But I just knew there, so I didn't say a word. I let another four to six weeks go weeks go by. Then one day I said, Evo, why do you always smell your... Inner jock for it. He said, Carly's Tabernak, five years ago. And, you know, we always play tricks on each other. Somebody put some hot heat liniment on the inside of my jock strap, and it burned my balls. And he said, you try to rub it off, you rub it in. And all practice, I was almost crying. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. So for five years, he's been coming in as stiff as his inner jock because he didn't want that to ever happen again. So... When he tells me that story, of course, plants a seed in my head, and my devil horns go up. So I let another two to three weeks go by, and I beat him in the dressing room, and I put hot heat limit in his in his inner jock strap. And he, just like every other morning, walks in with his head down. He's tired. He reaches in, smells his inner jock strap, puts it back in his, his hockey pants, and then all of a sudden he puts his head up. He realized that after five years he smelled that smell again. Then he looks around. Carlis, Tabernak, who did this? Well, of course, I'm laughing so hard, so you is me, but uh, anyways, I thought that was pretty cute, and uh, so some of you players out there, maybe that's a good trick. I don't know. So who was the prankster of the team? Well, it would be probably, if you narrowed it down to one guy, it would be Guy Lapointe, hands down. And then probably after that, I would say Mario Trombley, if I remember correctly, but it by far, you know, there was a lot of guys that were mature. And the point, he, he had a little bit of kid in him, which is great to have. And he would always play pranks. And in my opinion, 
I think that brings the team together. We're laughing, not at anybody, but with, and it's just a good team. And so he was wonderful on the team. The other thing that I, uh, when I think about uh, winning the Stanley Cup, we won it in Montreal, and Pierre Trudeau came in our dressing room after the game. You know, the wives are in the dressing room, the guys that are single, their girlfriends in the media. And anytime I've saw a championship team that had just won everything, the champagne is flying, and there isn't anybody that doesn't have champagne on them. So I'm sitting in my stall, and I'm, it's been about 10 minutes and uh, that, you know, we've been in there celebrating. And everybody's wet, and I see Pierre Trudeau walk by with his bodyguards. He's got a gray suit on, and I notice he doesn't have any champagne on him. So, again, those devil horns come out, and I got a bottle of Dom Perignon beside me, so I slowly get the cork off it. And, you know, we've all drank it before, but I've never wasted it and shot it around, so I don't really know the trajectory of this uh, champagne. So I give it a good shake, and I aim it at Trudeau, and I want to get him in the chest. Then I say to myself, well, maybe I'm aiming a little too high. I don't want to be disrespectful and get the prime minister in the face. So I lowered my aim a little bit, and I let it fly, and I hit Pierre Trudeau in his gray suit in the crotch. And then, and it looked just like he pissed his pants, honest to God. And so he looked at his crotch and he looks at me and he looks at his crotch and he's looking at me and he's not smiling. And, and his bodyguards are kind of like looking up here as if to say, should we get this guy? And I just say, guys, relax. You're in the dressing room. And then about three seconds later, Pierre put a smile on his face. And, uh, so anyways, Pierre, if you, well, you're not listening, but I didn't try to get you, buddy. Uh, that's just where it ended up. Maybe Justin. Yeah, Justin. Yeah. Justin, if you're listening, I didn't mean to get you that. The other thing uh, that comes to me is, you know, during that playoff run, the first quarter we took on the Toronto Maple Leafs, where we beat them two games in our rink, and now we're in Maple Leaf Garden, the old Maple Leaf Garden. Throughout the year, you, we just named nine Hall of Famers. When the media would come in to our dressing room, whether it's from Montreal media or it was on the road, Toronto, they would go talk to those nine guys because they had lots to say. They were getting all the ice time, and uh, rightly so. They should get all the attention. But I scored a double overtime goal, and a couple things I remember. So the reason why the Canadians, playing for the Canadians, is one of the highlights of your career is because you're lucky enough to say that you won the Stanley Cup. So I'm sure there's some stories that you'd like to share. I know you had food poisoning. And I also know that you have a goal that the Canadians fans still to this day bring up, your double overtime goal. So can you talk a little bit about playing in the Stanley Cup Finals and scoring that goal? Well, I was in the quarterfinals, Chris, and um, before Toronto had a rough team. Like, they were grinders, and we were a finesse skating team, but we could, we had the bodies. If you wanted to play that rough type of game, they could. we had the players that could match you in that for sure. And so when we got to Toronto after beating them the first two games, uh, we played them in Montreal. What they did is because they were a slow grinding team, they turned the ice plant down. So it was very soft ice. So it kind of slowed the Canadians down to the Toronto Maple Leafs level. And that, and, uh, that first game, I was in the lineup. And one of the things that Kenny Dryden came up to Scotty Bowman and I found out later. And he said, listen, we've got this aggressive team. Leafs, you got to put Cam in the lineup. He can help us. So 
Scotty listened to him and he put me in the lineup. But I don't think, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't play well for Scotty. I, I, he just wasn't the coach that, that I needed at that time of my career. They put me in the lineup. And uh, the Leafs went with four lines. We went with three lines. Well, I didn't get a shift the first period. I didn't get a shift the second period. I didn't get a shift the third period. I didn't get a shift the first overtime period. And you know what? When you're just sitting on the bench that long, two things. You, I, I, like I, I was watching their goalie, Palmateri. He's just a little petite goalie who didn't cover a lot of the net. And every time you got to the top of the circle and you're going to take a shot, you put your head down, look at the puck, he come charging out of the net. So he was very predictable. And I remember telling myself, well, if I ever get a chance on him, I'm going to pretend I'm going to shoot the puck and then I'm going to curl and I should have an open net. Anyways, that's the theory. So, and also when you sit on the bench for four periods, like your legs are like concrete. And so you try to skate a little bit, uh, when you can, you know, between periods. So I was almost kind of saying, I don't even want to go on the ice now. But our guys were getting tired with playing only three lines, and I see Bowman looking up and down the bench, and then he said, okay, Cam, get out there. He said, don't overhandle the puck, and blah, blah, blah. So I'm kind of chuckling to myself. Well, I get out there, and there's a turnover at center ice, and we're taught that when, you know, as soon as that puck's turned over from, you know, on a defensive role, now we got the puck, it's offense. We turn on a dime. So I just reacted right away. I got a, a nice pass from Doug Risebro and I'm breaking in alone. Although I got Dave Hutchinson, who was a big, tough defenseman. I know we're going to collide. He's going to take my head off. So I came in on Palmateer. I went to my backhand, and then I was going to curl to my forehand. And as it worked out, it ended up kind of just slipping right through the goalie's legs, and I scored the winning goal. So... And like you always say, it doesn't matter how it looks yeah. as long as it gets in well, the net. Well, I can tell you this. The Montreal Canadian fans, the players on the team, they didn't care what it looked like. The idea is the goalie's supposed to stop the puck, and i got to put it by him. So it went in, it counted, we won that game. So the boys on my team, you know, they were so good because all year long I worked my ass off. I never complained. I wanted, But, you know, we won the Cup three years in a row when I got there. And we had some good hockey players. So, you know, I wasn't getting the ice time that I wanted to, but I wasn't about to make any waves. And I truly was doing my best when I saw something in the stands, pass on to the other players. So they knew, they knew that I was a teammate and they respected me. And, and that's all you can ask. So when I scored that goal, 20 guys come on the ice and they dogpile me. I'm on the bottom. And seriously, I don't know if you people have ever been dogpiled. You can't breathe. Like, you can't breathe. Your chest is compressed. And I can hardly wait till these guys get off so I can start breathing again. And little by little, these guys are coming off. And so I guess Scotty Bowman didn't see who scored. So he comes running on the ice and he's pulling guys off, off of me. And then I'm laying on my back. So he gets the last guy off and I'm laying there. And Scotty looks at me and he says, well, Scotty gets excited. He talks a mile a minute. Who scored? Who scored? Who scored? And I said, I did. And Scotty looks at me and he goes, you did? You know, and so I started laughing, and then I don't know why. He said, well, you're only a hero for 15 minutes. Remember that. So anyway, so I go off the ice. Did you get a shift in your next game? After yeah, I played a lot more the next okay. game, and, and we went into overtime again. With playoff come, I don't know why. I turned into a different player, but I really believe I was going to get the next overtime goal. 
There were hobbits who scored it. God bless them. So going from there, you ended up getting food poisoning as the series went on? Well, what had happened is, so that was the first quarterfinal series. Then we went to Boston, and I played every single game against the Bruins. You know, again, they were a tough team, and I was in the lineup. Things are going well. I missed the seventh game because we were in Boston, and, uh, and we went out to eat after, like, the whole team. And I don't know, they must have given me at the restaurant Lafleur's plate. But when I got home to Montreal, I was sicker than a dog. I couldn't play any more games. And I went from 205 pounds down to 180 pounds. I had this poison in my system for nine days. So when I got back, I phoned the team doctor up and I told them what's going on. The symptoms, he says, oh, you've got the flu, just stay in bed, drink plenty of fluid. Well... I had bloodshot eyes. They looked like road maps. I, I couldn't even get out of bed. It, it was really, really tough on me. So I phoned the doctor again, and I said, Doc, I'm just getting worse. So he told me to come in, and he did some tests and uh, ended up having food poisoning. And then he told me, and if you're a doc out there, hopefully I'm giving a good scoop here, but what I was told is if I was a candidate for whatever reason that after food poisoning, I ended up getting chromosome problems. And all summer, I couldn't train. I had certain joints on my fingers and my chest, on my foot, that if you just barely touched it, it was major pain. I couldn't train. And I went to 10 orthopedic surgeons. I went to anybody that could help me. Nobody could help me. When I showed up to Edmonton Oilers training camp, Glenn Sather looked at me. And he said, what's the matter with you? And I told him the truth. And he said, did, did this happen when you were in Montreal? I said, it did. He said, well, we can send you back to Montreal because you're damaged goods. And I said, Glenn, you know, I sold my house there. And, you know, obviously they let me go. And I'm with you. I was the order's first pick in that expansion draft. And I said, I want to play for you. Anyways, he sent me to a doctor. And this guy was 82 years old, and he said he only saw one other case like this. And he knew what I had wrong with me, and uh, he put me on uh, certain pills, which names I forgot. And it was all instant relief. So, um, yeah, so I had the food poisoning, and I, had, and I was told it was chromosome problems anyways. And So if you have problems after food poisoning, check it out. Okay, so you have your food poisoning. The next series starts. Well, I got, I got one more story, Chris, and it just popped in my head. And uh, when we did win that cup in Montreal, and I told you about Trudeau in the dressing room and so on, uh, my wife Sherilyn and I, we left at about three in the morning from the dressing room. And I figured there'd be a couple hundred diehard Montreal Canadian fans outside the forum. When I walked outside with the wife at three in the morning, there were still freaking thousands of people outside. And they, as soon as you walk out the door, you hear, oh, Cam Connor. And they picked me up like a beach ball, and they're passing me from person to person. And I'm thinking, number one, they're going to drop me on my head, and number two, somebody's going to steal my wallet or my money or my car keys. So the whole time they're passing me around, I keep checking my pockets and making sure everything is still there. And they finally put me down on the outside of the pack. So I checked my pockets again one more time to make sure I had everything. And I put my hands in my jacket pocket, and in my jacket pocket I had three joints, and two girls' phone numbers that they put in. So that's pretty crazy. So what do you remember about the, the night that the Habs won the Stanley Cup? Well, I, I just remember that uh, 
you know, the guys went out for three or four days. The police didn't want us drinking and driving, so they assigned everybody a motorcycle with a sidecar on it, and you take these guys whenever you wanted to, and you'd say, go to this bar, go to that bar, and they took good care of us. As groups, we went out back in those days. You didn't get the Stanley Cup for two or three days or one day like you do today to take home. I know Yvonne Cornway owned a bar outside of New outside of uh, outside of Montreal. So I, I know we just celebrated as a team. You know, if you ever take, I think that year with Montreal, I want to say we played in the course of a season, 106 or 116 games, and that works out to three or four a week. If you ever see Bowman's practices, they're only for an hour and a half, but you don't get your breath. They don't sit there and talk and let your breath back. They, you're always skating hard for an hour and a half. And if you ever took a picture of a hockey player's body, you know, in the summertime, you get to work out and rest and get that body back. And you took a picture of these guys at training camp, and then you took a picture of their body at the end of the season. Is a big difference. Like you could see, I, I don't want to say skin and bones, but you went from muscular to, you know, definitely somebody that's had a long, hard working season. So it, it is a long grinding season. So when we won the cup, we went out for three, four, five days as a team, individuals. Uh, we just went to the different bars and relaxed and enjoyed life. So once you win the cup, what's the, the process? How do you get your ring and do you get anything else? And how yeah. does that work? Well, we, we had a parade after. So, you know, they had an open kind of air kind of bus and we were all on the bus and there was, you know, just what you would expect in Montreal. The parade route was just lined with 10 deep people. And, um, you know, there was girls that would be running up onto the bus and, Signed their arms, signed their breasts. It was pretty crazy. So, you know, they, they give you like a miniature Stanley Cup that you, you would win and, uh, the Stanley Cup rings. I got mine when I came during the season, uh, to play Montreal Canadiens. Um, it was ready before then, but instead of mailing it, they wanted to give me it in person. So, you know, when you get that Stanley Cup ring, you don't even know how proud you are. Price you got to pay to win the Stanley Cup, and it is not easy. I was proud, and I still am proud that I got to win a cup, and there's guys that have played, you know, 15, 17, 20 years that have never got a Stanley Cup. Um, so I think every everybody that ever wins a cup, you know, you never forget it, and, uh, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. So I have a couple more questions. There was a lot of controversy about putting your name on the Stanley Cup, and a couple players actually went to bat for you. So do you want to talk about that? Yeah, you know, I didn't know anything about that at all. I didn't. And so somebody brought it to my attention one day, and I said, really? And then I did talk to, I think it was, I want to say Ken Dryden. And uh, what it was is that the league had said that, uh, you know, back then they would say whose name goes on the Cup. And I was there all year. Um, I, I know I did my best to be a good teammate. I had the respect of my teammates. When the NHL told them that everybody's name was going to be on it except for mine and Yvonne Cornway, our three player reps, which if I'm not mistaken was Dryden, Ganey, and Doug Riseborough, they talked amongst themselves and they just said, okay, if you don't put those two guys' name on the Stanley Cup, you do not have permission. To put the rest of the team players' name on the Stanley Cup, you just put the Montreal Canadiens, and that's that. 
Well, the league obviously didn't want that, so they relented and they said, okay, our name will go on. And we actually got to visit the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto, where you can see the Stanley Cup. We saw your name, so it's definitely on the cup. Uh, and then after that cup win, the dynasty was over. Three players, Lemaire, Dryden, and Cornwallier, that's a hard name to say, uh, retired. Do you know why they retired? Well, you know, they had a great career. Kenny, obviously, you know, was educated with the Cornell. He has a law degree. So there's life after hockey. And so he went in that direction, I believe. And Cornway and Jacques Lemaire. I know that, obviously, with Lemaire, I do remember him coaching and, uh, you know, being involved with the Devils. And I believe it was Minnesota. He had a long coaching career after. I'm not quite sure. I think Yvonne Cornway, if he wanted to, he could have stayed in hockey. And I believe he did stay in there for a little while. But these guys, they all had options. They had such a great career. He made, those guys made top dollar. So whatever it was back in those days, nobody knew what the other guy was making. So I, I'm assuming whatever top dollar was, they made it and they had enough money that they didn't have to work if they didn't want to. Okay, well, we're going to end this with a little bit about the Heritage Classic. And I think that would be a good episode on its own. But you had the privilege of playing for the Montreal Canadiens All-Star team for the alumni against the Edmonton Oilers alumni All-Star team. And again, it seems like you you might not have played in the NHL lots of seasons, but you have these interesting little factoids about you that you were, I think, one of two players for that game that played for Montreal and Edmonton. So you had the option of playing for either. And Montreal, I think it was Rajon Rule, asked if you wanted to play for the Montreal Alumni All-Star team. I was working for the Edmonton Oilers at the time. So it was interesting because that was the first time where I actually got to see you play. And I know it wasn't the same, the same <laughs> level as NHL, but it was still interesting to see your name on, on a jersey. So why don't you talk quickly about what it was like to be reunited with a lot of the players from Montreal that you played with, like Gila Fleur and such. You know, it was wonderful to see those guys again. There was nobody standoffish. It, you really, you've heard it from other players. It's just like you picked up where you left off. Everybody was hugging and good to see you again. And we had our own stories amongst ourselves. And... um we were all comfortable with each other. There was some of the guys like Nyland, who I didn't play with, but I got to meet, and Bobby Smith. And there was quite a few players, again, that I played with and quite a few that I didn't. And so, you know, like Claude Demieux, watching him, I always said, oh, I'd like to run that guy. But when you meet him, what a classy, classy man he was. And so it did my heart a lot of good to see these guys again and to rub shoulders with them and hang out for three days or four days. And, you know, I was just like a fan myself. I got them to sign hockey sticks of mine and different jerseys for friends. And I stayed at the same hotel because, I mean, I could have stayed, you know, because it was in Edmonton at my house. But I said, I want to be part of the team. So they allowed me to get a hotel room in the hotel McDonald where the team was staying and we did all the functions together and going on the ice practicing with these guys. There was a good majority of the Canadians that don't have to work for a living and that uh, they play probably 80 games a season. So for myself, I don't play nearly that much. I was doing nine to five. And so I, I could tell 
you know, their timing was real good. And I had to work pretty hard out there just to keep up with these guys. But uh, good experience. And the one thing I do remember is when it was all over, because it was so cold that day, that they gave us Montreal Canadian toques to wear. We had these toques on, kept us warmer, served its purpose. Then we got on a bus after the old alumni, and the, the public relations guy for the present NHL Montreal Canadiens came on our bus, and he said, guys, we don't have enough toques for everybody on the team, um, on the, for the regular Montreal Canadian guys. So I'm going to ask for your hats back, and we'll give them to you later. So I was sitting in the third row from the front of the bus, and I remember Gila Point was sitting right in front of me. It was so cute because he got Gila Fleur to autograph his hat. And so the first row guys give the hat in, and then they come to the second row, and those guys turn their hats into this guy, including the point. And then they come to my row, and I said, I'm not freaking giving you my hat. And he said, oh, no, no, you'll get it back. I said, no way. How many times have you ever been told, oh, you'll get it back? It doesn't happen. I learned my lessons. I said, no way, I'm not giving you my hat. And then the point goes, yeah, I'm not going to get that back. Give me my hat back, too. So everybody asked for the hats back. And so... That's the only reason I still have my hat today is because I wouldn't give it up. Okay, so that was quite an adventure from your time in Montreal. I'm sure there's going to be stories that pop in your head tonight that you think, why didn't I bring it up? Yeah. So I was thinking next week, why don't we talk about your time playing for New York Rangers? Does that sound good? Got a lot of ammunition for that one, for sure. And I could talk about uh, the time that I took a shower with a supermodel. We'll leave leave it at that because it's a true story. It is. So until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam.